title of today's message is the name, the name that is above all other names, the name of Jesus, amen? If you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, we're going to be in verse 20 is where we're going to start today. Over the past few months, we've been going through the names of God, and we've covered 12 of the over 300 ways that the Bible describes God. And the video that opened today's message showed you in graphic detail just a few of the names or a few of the names that are used to describe Jesus. And today we're going to end, end the study of the names of God with the most important name of all, the most important name to all of humanity, the most important name to you and I, the name Yeshua, or as we say in English, Jesus. And this is a daunting task this morning for any preacher, because there is so much packed in the name of Jesus that none of us complete an exhaustive study of who he is. John the Apostle even expressed this at the end of his gospel, and he said, if we were to package everything that Jesus did and everything that Jesus said during his three years on this earth that he was in ministry, the world could not contain ever, all the books that would be required for that to happen. So for me to do that today in a 30-minute message is, is going to be difficult, but we're going to do our best. We're going to look at four of the highlights about what this name means, what is behind the name, and how it impacts our life today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start at the beginning, the birth of Jesus. Jesus was born in the city of um, Bethlehem, but his parents came from Nazareth. Nazareth is this little town in northern Israel. And if there was a place in Israel that was considered the backwater, if there was a place in Israel where you would not want to be from, it was Nazareth. It was a very poor town. They had a lot of trade coming through it, but the people there were considered to be kind of the, the lower end of the socioeconomic scale, to put it politely. It was a town that you walked in and you almost heard the banjo start right away. Ding, 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 ding. It was considered to be kind of the backwater area of town. This was a town that if you said you were from there, you were from the wrong side of the tracks. You were from that place. Even one of Jesus' own followers scorned his hometown. He said, did you hear about Jesus from Nazareth? He said, Nazareth? How can anything good come from Nazareth? They want me to follow that guy? He came from Nazareth. That's where the setting where Jesus' parents came from. And from this town, this young woman named Mary is betrothed or engaged to Joseph. There's a problem, though. She's found to be pregnant before they came together, before they were officially married. Mary had the excuse, she said, well, uh, God did it. Now Joseph had the same reaction that any of us would have if, if our spouse were to tell us that she was pregnant. Um, no, I don't think so. Joseph didn't believe her. So he sets out very quietly to end the engagement, to end, end this kind of pre-marriage the Hebrew had in such a way that wouldn't cause Mary to be stoned to death for adultery. But then God intervenes in a dream. And that's where we pick up with our scripture this morning. It says, But as he, Joseph, considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Yeshua, or Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let's pray. Father God, as we end our study of the name of God, we want to end this study with the name that is beyond all other names. The only name that we can call upon to be saved. The name of the one who loves us more than any human could ever love another person. The only person who could call himself both God and man. And that is you, Jesus. So I ask that throughout the rest of this service, that it is you that is glorified this morning. It is you that is expounded upon. It is you that is made famous through the words that are spoken. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. Let it be that this morning, Lord. For your glory, amen. As we finish this series on the name of God, I want us to consider what this name of Jesus means to us. It's not just a cuss word. It's not just a way to show exasperation. It's not just something we say flippantly when we're nervous or when we're scared or or angry. It is a name that is above all other names. I want you to consider what this name of Jesus means to us. Because the name of Jesus... It should shape how we see Him. It should shape how He is able to work in our lives. How His influence should permeate every part of us. So the first thing I want to look at about the name of Jesus is that His name literally means salvation or God saves. Jesus' name defines who He is to us. Why is this so important? What does it mean to our lives? Let me give you an example. If we're at a gathering of people or the first time I, I introduce myself to you. How, how do people usually introduce themselves to you? Well, if I'm introducing myself to you, if I've never met you, I would usually hold out my hand, shake your hand, and say, Hi, my name's John. I'm the pastor over at Whitehall Assembly. I also work at Black River Falls as a critical care paramedic and as a firefighter and a paramedic here in town. You know, if, if my wife was going to introduce herself, she would say, Hi, my name's Pastor John, or I'm Pastor John's wife, Tammy. <laughs> Pastor Tammy. <laughs> you know, I help John with the administration, the worship children, if we have some coming. And I, I help out at the church wherever I can. But let me show you some pictures of Amelia, my granddaughter. I have about 1,500 pictures right here on my phone and probably 2,000 on my Facebook. We define ourselves by what is most important to us. Typically for men, when we introduce ourselves, we give you our resume. For women, if they don't have a career, they'll tell you about their families or maybe a favorite hobby. For Jesus, though, his very name defines who he is in this world. Jesus is salvation. He is our Savior. The Apostle Paul described Jesus and who he was this way. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, he said, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, that in him we might have the righteousness of God. That's why Jesus is called a Savior, because he came to save us from our sin. Jesus paid a debt he did not owe to pay a debt that we could not pay. 
The debt was the penalty for our sins. Those things that we do in life that are contrary to the character, contrary to the nature, and contrary to the law and His commandments that God has given us. And that's why the principal meaning of His name is Savior. And that is why any discussion about Jesus or His purpose in our lives has to start there. That's why Him as Savior is so important. Because everyone, every person has to start their relationship with God by admitting that you need saving. We need to recognize who we are. We need to see ourselves for who, the way God sees us. A fallen people. A people that He loves, but a people that are fallen. We're hopeless in our sin and our failure. We need someone to save us from the eternal penalty for that failure and for that sin. I know I need it. And if a person never confronts their sin, a person never admits to their sin, and a person never repents or turns away from their sin, they remove the possibility of Jesus ever being their Savior. And if that is the case, you will meet Him someday. But it will not be His Savior. It will be as, as judge. Those are the two choices of what you have to do with Him. You can bend your knee now to Him and surrender all you are to Him while you live, or someday you'll meet Him as your judge and you will bend your knee then and admit that He is Lord. The Bible says that every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But if you do and wait for that time, there will be no forgiveness available for you. Jesus' name defines Him as Savior, but it also defines who He isn't. Jesus is not your genie in a lamp. He is not your good luck charm. Within the Christian church, there's this dangerous misunderstanding of the use of Jesus' name in prayer. And I think it comes from a misunderstanding of a statement that Jesus makes in John chapter 14 when He promises that anything we ask for in His name it will be given to us. And unfortunately, people have taken that one small idea and blown it up to mean something that it doesn't. And therefore, people reduce the name of Jesus to something like an abracadabra or alakazam magic trick, thinking as long as we say this, God will give us what we want. But not only that is, is that disrespectful to Jesus as our Savior, it's not even biblically accurate. When Jesus encouraged us to use His name in prayer, he was, as he often does in the Gospel of John, creating a word picture for us to visualize that was very familiar to his disciples. Jesus was referring to an agent of a king, invoking the name of that king to accomplish the kingdom business. An agent could only invoke a name of a king for a very limited and a very narrow purpose. When an ambassador goes overseas and they said this is America's position, he can't just make it up as he goes. He has been given instructions on exactly what to say and exactly what that position is. And he can say, in the name of America, I mean this to happen. And in ancient times, if an ambassador or an agent was caught using the king in a way that wasn't the king's will, and especially a way that would enrich him somehow, that agent was put to death. Oftentimes in some cultures, that agent and his family were put to death. That is how serious that 
the ancient world took this idea of the king's name being used. In the Bible, we see a humorous example of this, where there were seven sons of a Jewish priest that were trying to use Jesus' name like a magic token to cast out demons. In the response of the demon, they came upon an actual demon-possessed man. The response of the demon was, is it's kind of funny in a way. Because the demon said, you know, paraphrasing Acts 19 a little bit, he goes, you know, I know Jesus. I met Jesus. I was in heaven with Jesus at one time before I fell. I know exactly who this Jesus is. And you see, I know who his ambassadors are. I know who his agents are. I know who his followers are. You can just see it, the Holy Spirit upon them. I know them. I know them. You ain't one of them. And, a girl, and that man seemed to whip the tar out of seven people. I remind us of this story this morning because the name of Jesus deserves our respect. And if you have bowed your knee to Jesus, if you accepted Him as Lord and as Savior in your life, you are now an agent of the King. And as representatives of this kingdom, I encourage you to stop for a moment before you just kind of blithely and carelessly say in Jesus' name at the end of your prayers and ask yourself, is what I'm praying for in the interest of this king? Is what I'm praying for in the interest of his kingdom? Is what I'm praying for match with the character that he has shown us through his word? Ask yourself, if you were immediately called to explain this prayer to Jesus in person, is what you're praying for make you feel ashamed? Jesus' glory should be the primary concern of our lives, especially our prayer lives. Amen? When we have the correct perspective, we will see Him for who He's supposed to be. Really quick, there's two other ways that people refer to Jesus that kind of bug me. These are just going to be really quick. Jesus is my buddy. You ever heard anybody say that? Can I just say, He's not your buddy. He's your King. He is your Lord. He is Almighty God in the flesh. He's not, he is your friend for sure, but He's not just this casual acquaintance that you call upon once in a while to help you move a couch or, or drive you to an airport, but He has no other part in your life. He is king, and his will, his purpose, and his kingdom should be the most important thing in our life. Another bumper sticker makes me want to run up to the car and tear the bumper right off the car. Jesus is my co-pilot. Anybody ever seen that bumper sticker? If, <laughs> the idea that Jesus is a co-pilot is exactly why the Western church, and especially the one in America, is in trouble. Because we relegated Jesus to being our assistant instead of our Lord. If Jesus is indeed your co-pilot, you need to switch seats. You're in the wrong seat. Matter of fact, just get out of the car and put yourself in the trunk. Because that's, that's where you need to be in relation to Jesus. Jesus' name means salvation. And it also means our second point today is that Jesus' name determines his mission of God with us. You remember in what we read a few minutes ago, it says that they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And it blows my mind when I think about the Bible history. 
that from before time began, Jesus had this mission plan. Calvary, the cross, all that Bible history wasn't some knee-jerk reaction of a God who let his creation get out of control. Jesus' death on the cross was planned before God said, let there be light. Jesus' mission was going to be to restore what was lost at the fall of man. And that was man walking with God as a man would walk with a friend. Humanity's sin had erected this impenetrable wall of separation between God and man that Jesus came to destroy. That wall of separation was symbolized in the temple of Jesus' day by a large thick curtain. And when I say a thick curtain, we're talking 8 to 12 inches thick of solid fabric that separated the temple that everybody else could go into from the most holy place that God's presence dwelt. It was a visual representation of mankind's sin separating us from God. And it is notable that the moment, the very moment that Jesus died, that curtain was torn in half. And it's very specific in how it was torn in half. From top to bottom. And when I was thinking about that this week, when I was preparing for this message, I was just imagining God the Father's hands on top of that curtain waiting for Jesus to say, it is finished, and to give up his spirit to his Father. Because at that very moment, the payment for the sin of man was done. And God, I imagine his heart was filled with sorrow, but again, filled with joy of what this was going to mean for you and I. And he said, indeed, and just went, and tore that curtain down. 4,000 years that curtain had been there in the Spirit, but now He can walk with His creation once again. That's why Jesus self-defined Himself and His mission by taking that name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Jesus became the restorer of the fellowship that God so yearns to have with us. But we need to meet Him on His terms. And God's terms for us are simply this. Surrender. Acknowledge Him as your Creator. Acknowledge Him as your God. Acknowledge Him as your Savior and your Ruler. He's the boss. He's your Father. And if you want to live in His house, you've got to live by His rules. His terms begin with you accepting Emmanuel as your Savior so He can become your Lord. And that leads us to the third point about the name of Jesus. Remember, we've said that Jesus' name defines Him. Jesus' name determines His mission. And now we're going to look at the fact that Jesus' name is the only name that saves. Let me say that again. Jesus' name is the only name that saves us. There's been this, this incredible move over the last 20 or 30 years in the Western church. And when I say Western church, I'm talking about the American church and the European church towards something called ecumenicalism, which meaning that all faiths are basically the same. We can just throw them in a blender and you'll still come out with what God wants. But to do that to Christianity ignores the plain teaching of our holy book, the Bible. The early church, immediately after the fall of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, realized that there was a central point that they had been taught by Jesus that they needed to proclaim and what the Holy Spirit revealed to them. As a matter of fact, 
Peter used it in his first defense against the religious people of his time that were telling him not to preach in the name of Jesus when he said that salvation is found by no one else. There is no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. No other name. That's what the early church believed. That's what they preached. Christ crucified for the sins of humanity. That's what the disciples stood for. That's what they all died for. They stood. And then they died. The person who said that, Peter, was crucified upside down. James the Greater was cut down with a sword. Andrew was crucified. Thomas was thrust through with a spear, preaching to the people of India. Philip was tortured and crucified. Matthew was beheaded. Nathaniel was flayed alive and then crucified. None of these men repented of, the, of what they believed. They all believed this to the death. James the Lesser was beaten to death with clubs. Simon the Zealot was crucified. Thaddeus was beaten to death. Matthias was stoned after being crucified. He took Judas's place. John was boiled in oil and exiled to a desert island, or deserted island. And Paul the Apostle, who gave us most of the New Testament, was beheaded. But in case you think they may have gotten it wrong, in, th in case you think that, that they had not somehow not heard the name of Jesus, listen to Jesus' own words. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through me. Amen. He did not say except through me and maybe Buddha. He did not say except through me and maybe Muhammad. He did not say me and maybe Krishna except through me. Period. Amen. And that's why that move toward ecumenicalism is so dangerous. And I don't know how anyone could read a statement like that from Jesus himself and think about obeying the tenets of Islam will somehow save us. Muhammad barely recognizes Jesus as even a prophet, and then a very minor one at that. I don't understand how people can believe you can mix the teaching of Buddha. The end of Buddhism is, is that nothing exists to begin with. But we believe a person who defines reality itself. They're, they're incompatible with each other. It's incomprehensible that you can equate Jesus with the 10 million gods that are in the Hindu pantheon of deities. You can't mix those two together. There is only one name given under heaven which men must be saved. And that name is Jesus. Jesus' name defines Him. It determines His mission. It's the only name that saves. And finally, Jesus' name is the name of our King. And I want you to think about that as we watch this last video. It's uh, taken from a sermon by Dr. S.M. Lockridge, who's a very famous Baptist preacher, describing Jesus as our King. The Bible says, my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternal. 
eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. our king amen. amen that's my king that's my king thank you jesus, thank you, jesus. dr Lug lockridge described that thought better than i ever could hallelujah i'd ask everybody to stand i leave you with this final thought this morning jesus's name comes with a mission a mission that he defined himself when he say the son of man came to seek and to save that which is lost and that was Jesus' whole mission statement right there. To seek those who are lost, to seek those who need God's forgiveness, and to save them, to bring them into relationship with God. It was in his driving motivation in life to save as many as possible for the kingdom of God. If that was Jesus' mission, shouldn't that be our mission this morning? As followers of Jesus, shouldn't we be willing to lay down everything for the sake of his name and for the sake of that mission.